Welcome to Mental Speak, Mental and Emotional Balance. You are now locked in to the Mental Speak Radio Show on the Fishbowl Radio Network. Good Friday afternoon, Mental Speak family. It's your host, Latanya Davison, and I am ready and excited to bring you a, another wonderful show, another timely topic um, with the focus, as you know, if it's your first time or you are a regular listener, looking to bring balance to self and society. And as always, another amazing, wonderful, epic guest in, in store for us and I'm I'm just going to get right to it and introduce this gentleman. His name is, first let me tell you his background. He is a seasoned cross-cultural communications executive, an award-winning author, trainer, and speaker. He is a former Peace Corps volunteer in Kenya. He is the executive director emeritus at UC Berkeley's International House. And his name is Mr. Joe Lurie. Hi, Joe. Hi, Latanya. Nice to meet you. Are we've kind of been vibing just before we went live, and we we're you know it's so timely. Uh, the show is global. Welcome to all our global listeners, but particularly here in America, we are in a bit of a almost liken it to this. Uh, virtual civil war if you will and I think that we're in a time where we don't hear beyond our own perceptions and Joe is a trained as I said a uh, cultural almost like a cultural coach would you call it that Joe yeah cross-cultural communications trainer yeah yeah you're like you're like a life coach for for are various cultures that are coming together mm-hmm. it, very timely and we need you and, and the reason why I reached out to you is because your book he has a uh, he has a book out and it is called Perception and Deception a mind opening journey across cultures Joe brings his experience his background um, as the executive director of the International House at UC Berkeley and also as a uh, Peace Corps uh, volunteer and just the from, from what I've read um, he's just he's an expert for what we need right now and so I have asked him to come on and just kind of guide us in, in where we you know just give us some some practical tips of where we may be headed uh, here in America. Well, we whatever we've got to get together. But Joe, uh, let me ask you first and foremost: cross cultural cross cultural coach, so to speak. What what exactly is that? So I begin my book with a metaphor that drives the book, which is kind of a culmination of a multiplicity of blessed experiences and mistakes I've made over the course of a lifetime. And the metaphor comes from a 4th century Chinese poem. How shall I explain the sea to a frog that has never left its pond? 
how shall I explain the sea to a frog that has never left its pond? So I have a pond, you have a pond, all of our listeners have a pond, and they're all different. And if we've never left the ponds in which we have been swimming, it is very difficult to comprehend somebody else's pond until we learn to listen and experience their ponds. So the blessing for me in this journey to be having become a cross-cultural trainer, communication speaker, was that I learned that when I was looking at something and it was striking me as odd, strange, maybe even offensive, I had to learn to take a pause. What I was seeing may not have been what was actually happening. What I meant to communicate may not have been what was received. So let me pause there, because otherwise <laughs> I will continue to go on for months. But, but you, that is but, the beginning of it, Latanya. Yes, but that's the thing. That's that's why you are described as as just a poignant speaker. Um, your your perspective. I would like to add to that. The, the the depth of that you are you don't understand the ocean when you have a pond even beyond that as a mental health social worker yep. i see people with toxic ponds mm-hmm. so not only can you not envision beyond your pond but if your pond is is toxic uh you are seeing the world through filtered eyes based on you know a, a, a lot of uh, toxicity and traumas and and um, you know particularly in America it's almost like we're in a bubble we are in our own little pond and there's a vast ocean out there um, right yes so you went to Kenya um, it, tell us a little bit you had a, a story about when you got off of the plane and you, you oh, okay. the Here lion? We go. right Please tell so us about I start, that. Actually, it starts, let's see if I, we're, we're uh, thinking here. You're referring to smelling lions, Smelling right? the lions. Yeah. They've got okay, to so remember in those days, uh, the dominating image of, at the continent of Africa, you know, even to this day, very educated people ask people from Africa whether they speak African, you know. Um, and you, we already know now there's over 3,000 languages spoken yes. in Africa. Yes. So in any case, my pond was driven by these images of Tarzan, you know, this guy, this white guy who was in Africa, and you didn't really see anything about African cultures, the richness of its traditions, etc., etc., and in addition to Tarzan, what were the common images, and still to this day they predominate whenever you hear about Africa, Mm -hmm. safaris, Yes. what, antelopes, Mm -hmm. lions, so on the way to Nairobi, we did a fueling stop in the neighboring country of Uganda in its capital, Entebbe. And when the Peace Corps volunteers, my fellow Peace Corps volunteers, got off the plane for a little break, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, got out of the plane, and the air was heavy, humid, which was, on, uh, in a sense, kind of reinforcing the very overly generalized idea that Africa's, oh, you know, hot all over it. You know, mm-hmm. forgetting that there are mountains in Africa, right? Um, and the air was heavy, humid, and I remember saying distinctly to one of my fellow volunteers, wow, don't you smell lions, right? So this was influenced by my pond, the media, all of this business, mm-hmm. and I later was discovered that there were no lions. Of course there were lions in Africa, but there were no lions within 30 miles of, or 20 to 30 miles of the Entebbe airport. 
Why did I think I was smelling lions? It was because all of my senses had been imbued with this overgeneralized, misleading notion of an enormous continent with its own complexities and history and traditions. And my, the actual sense of smell, this illusion was driven by the stereotypes that I had been fed in my pond. And sadly to this day, even if you look at uh, trips, you know, tour companies that advertise trips to Africa, for the most part, they're always include either dominated by safaris or there's a major component of safaris. Very few trips will you see, let's go and discover the history of X country, let's go and learn the language of X society, let's go and understand the traditions, etc., etc. It's not marketable because of the uh, assumptions that are fed to us. So that was the second, you know, one of the other initial, um, uh, you know, impressions that I was given that, you know, I have to realize, wait a second here, everything that I, all of my notions may be mistaken. Wow. And so I want to, I want to move on down that you say with, with that, you know, that African awakening, the stranger sees only what he knows. Um, I, I want to then move into how you brought that background to Berkeley, to UC Berkeley with the International House. Well, basically I was privileged to have spent three years uh, with the same students. I got very attached to the students and I took them from what in effect was the 10th grade through their graduation. Um, and they were as much teachers of me as I was a teacher for them, yeah. right? And they were teaching me things that I had no idea about, and of course their parents and people in the community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So one of the things that I came back to the United States was with a tremendous sense of I want to devote my life to helping other people in the United States get beyond their ponds, whether it's their community ponds, their cultural ponds, their national ponds, their ethnic ponds, that they have begin to have contact with people that they've never had contact with before. So ultimately, uh, I got engaged with, uh, you know, the whole field of study abroad. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that nowadays more and more colleges are encouraging students to go abroad as part of their education, although too many of these programs, <laughs> they send Americans abroad and they're all living together as opposed to living with local people. Right. Nonetheless, it's, they, they are getting out there more than they used to. And so the whole process of trying to get as many Americans to go abroad as possible became a passion of mine. And in the same way that I found great welcome when I was in Kenya and then later when I lived in Ghana, uh, other parts of Africa, a great sense of hospitality. Not that everybody was a great person. I mean, you know, there are good and evil people in every society. For sure. Um, but there was no question that the tradition of hospitality and openness was very striking for me. And I felt it was important for me when I got back to the United States to do what I could to be welcoming in one way or another, programmatically, personally, to help people to be feel welcome when they came here from other countries, wherever it was from. And let me, if I can just back up a second, because mm -hmm. this whole notion of hospitality is really important. Please do. When I... When I, when I when I uh, got to Kenya, I was in a fairly remote rural village at the time. It's much different nowadays, of course. Um, and 
when I got there, I was kind of wondering why did not my fellow Kenyan uh, instructors at the school invite me to their homes, as we would here, a neighbor moves in across the street, you say, hello, welcome, come on over. Nobody invited me over. So, Latanya, what was my perception? My perception was this was three years, four years after Kenyan independence and a Mau Mau revolution against colonial British imperialism and all of that. So I thought, well, maybe I'm a white guy and maybe people just, you know, they don't, they don't want to, you know, get too friendly with me. Or maybe they felt, you know, all Americans are rich, which was one of the misperceptions on their side. Right. And maybe I would feel uncomfortable going into a modest home, because this was in a rural area. This was not in metropolitan Nairobi. And so nobody invited me over, so I decided to invite them over, my three Kenyan colleagues who were on the faculty there with me. And they came over to the house for dinner. We had a lovely chat together. It was a lovely evening, exchanging ideas, things. And then what would your ex expectation be, Latanya? I invited them over. It seemed like a lovely evening. What would your, what would your expectation have been? Invite me back. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's our pond. So I could not understand why I didn't get a reciprocal invitation. Mm -hmm. And in those days, and still you know, in many places, you would go out to a public place and, and to a cafe, a bar, and uh, I, I finally got up the gumption a couple of months later after a couple of beers and said, you know, did you have a good time when we were over at my house that evening for dinner? Oh, yeah, Joe, that was a great evening. It was really, really spirited discussion. I said, well, how come you've never invited me to your house? <laughs> and they looked at me totally startled. And they said, we don't invite people to our house, our houses, because the door is always open. Wow. Wow. And I, and I suspect, in fairness, in rural parts of the United States, yes. even in the days of, these days of social media, people drop in on each other. They don't have to text each other or ask for an appointment. But nonetheless, all of a sudden, I was introduced to this different sense of invitations I wasn't being slighted they didn't understand my pond of invitations and I didn't understand theirs and so in effect I, t I tested it out I went and knocked on doors and every single time no matter what time of the day not only was I invited in immediately but they started cooking that's amazing that is so amazing. I had to basically, I had to basically stop myself from going <laughs> to too many places because I couldn't eat all the food. It was, it's an insult not to eat the food if it's offered to you. So this is this whole question. That's why I wanted to be welcoming to people coming to this country. And ultimately, after a long career in the world of international educational exchange, right, I came to uh, Berkeley. I w was privileged to serve as the executive director there. And what International House is, for those of your listeners who may be interested, it is one of the largest residential, programmatic, intercultural centers in the world. Close to 600 people, students at Berkeley and scholars from 80 countries and 25 U.S. states live together and just by the sheer act of living together and doing things together begin to discover their differences and very, more often than not, begin to bridge those differences just by touching each other as human beings, touching each other's hearts. Mm. And what is, was remarkable also about International House, and I'll just finish with its origins because it's relevant, it was the very first interracial living center in west of New York City in the United States. 
It was in, in, in Berkeley. I don't know. I know you're from the West Coast, but I don't know if you know that uh, Berkeley and indeed much of the Bay Area was as segregated as was Mississippi and Alabama. Most in definitely. 19, in the yes. 20s, right? Yes. So when the idea of International House was proposed on the, on the campus of this great academic institution, there was 1,000 people who protested its creation. Why? A, you're going to have men and women living in the same building, people of different culture, cultures and colors, et cetera, ethnicities, etc., etc. And this was at a time when miscegenation was illegal. And everybody was afraid, A, people were going to sleep together, and of mm-hmm. course they did. And some of the very first interracial marriages came from international house. Wow. And they were afraid that property values would go down. And the founder, the man who had the idea for the international house, joke said, is on them. The Bay Area is the most expensive, expensive place to live <laughs> in the world. There you so. go. Ha ha. There you go. But anyway, so that's yeah. one of the things that drew me to want to work there. That here was a place that was saying, okay, we know there are problems out there. This has this distinguished, gorgeous history. It's still more relevant, uh, as relevant, if not more relevant today than it ever was. And if you want, I could tell you a couple of very brief stories about interactions there that really, uh, you know, at some point uh, will illustrate the power of living together and doing things together in ways that, you know, get people to break through. Is it still idealistic? Is it, it, is it, because International House is the ideal, but you say, you say that globalization is not working for us, yes? Right. I, what I am saying is that one aspect of globalization, and I, I'm, okay. I'm hesitant to say that it's all uh, plus or all minus. Yes, sir. Well, many people talk about, oh, globalization, we're all coming together as a world community. And my view of it is that globalization is happening so quickly that it's thrusting people together in ways, migration, technology, ease, relative ease of travel, in ways that are unprecedented and so rapidly that it doesn't permit people to even begin to get to know each other. Right. That the shock, for example, of you know what we read about about immigrants, whether it's in this country or in Europe, for example, and refugees, the shock of immigrants and coming in contact with them without knowing anything about them or they about us is causing colossal misunderstandings. So, and also with this, you know, emerging sense of, you know, terrorism and religious polarization. So I'll give you one little story from International House as to why I think that's the kind of vehicle that will address some of the poisonous aspects of globalization. Not that there aren't good parts to it. I don't want anybody to think that I'm, you know, one-dimensional about this. But the premise of why I wrote the book was that globalization is fueling a degree of... um, Polarization and misunderstanding never before witnessed. For sure. So, right, right, the beginning of this last academic year. Do you remember there was a bombing, a terrorist ISIS terrorist bombing in Barcelona? Yes. Okay. So it just so happened that a student from Barcelona came to the United States for the first time on an exchange program to UC Berkeley, and two days after he arrived, he looked out the window and he said to his American roommate. Look at those people outside with uh, turbans and long beards. ISIS is here. 
So what was he doing? He was automatically assuming, and understandably, let's understand him. We can't jump on him immediately. His pond was, I just came from Barcelona, where probably friends of mine were killed or people that he knew who, who knew other people were killed, and he experienced terrorism very close to himself, right? Emotionally, intellectually. Right. So what did he see? He only saw what he knew. The stranger sees only what he knows. Fortunately, the American roommate had had some intercultural experience and said, well, wait a second, hold, hold on here. Before you jump to conclusions about these bearded, bird turban guys out there, let me go downstairs and see what flyers they're handing out. What were they handing out? They were handing out flyers to feed the homeless. And then somebody could simply say, oh, this was fake. This is all fake. This is all an attempt to, you know, infiltrate. No. These had nothing to do with ISIS. These were people from the Sikh community. And many Americans don't even know who Sikhs are, even though there are half a million of them in this country. They do wear turbans. Most people don't know why they wear turbans. They wear turbans because they don't cut their hair. And why don't they cut their hair? Because hair is a gift of God. Yes. And to cut their hair is a violation of their religion. But they reminded people of Osama bin Laden with his turban because there were pictures of him with turban-like hats. So they thought, oh, it must be ISIS. So what was, here was this American student who had some intercultural training in the context of an international house where people had the opportunity to pause and say, wait a second, could this mean something else? That's why a place like International House, and I'm not saying that everybody, you know, breaks through. Yes. There are people there uh, who, you know, have an encounter with somebody from another culture and that all of a sudden it might alienate them further. But for the most part, I, the, the relationships have been transformative. I can say that after having worked there for 20 years. Wow. It, it, and so I want to move into Chapter 3, Seeing Americans Through the Eyes of Others. You okay. cannot see the mountain when you are on it. Please diagnose us. <laughs> give us, give us well, a diagnosis because, right. again, I, you know, we cannot observe ourselves. We cannot see ourselves. How are we viewed uh, in the context of a of, of cultural miscommunication? What's wrong right. with us? All right. So let me let me start with maybe a personal example on your side and on my side. Have you ever had an experience where somebody made an observation about you that was true that you never realized? Yeah, all the time. I just subject <laughs> myself to it. <laughs> yes, but right, because you're on the mountain, you you yeah. can't see the mountain when you're on it. Wow. Right. Yes. So it's often the person outside you that all, and this has happened to me many times, and somebody would say, you know, Joe, you don't realize that frequently you have spots on your shirt. And I gradually came to realize, yeah, this was true. I really didn't notice it in the beginning, and it's because my father did that, and unconsciously I was, you know, imitating him. Mm -hmm. But I didn't notice it until people pointed it out. Okay. So the chapter, how do people see... Um, behaviors and the whole range of types of behaviors in the United States and of course we there are all kinds of Americans goes without saying and what I began to discover was not only can a stranger somebody from another culture tell you something about yourself you didn't realize but it will also teach you something about his or her culture True. right yes so um, 
here's an example. I was doing a, um, a, uh, a seminar with some Korean journalists, most of whom had not been in the United States before, and I gave them, and, you, and your listeners might want to try this, when they meet people recently arrived in the United States, and simply ask them, well, what have you seen here that you've never seen in your own country? What surprised you? What was different? I wouldn't ask the question, what don't you like here? I wouldn't ask that question because a lot of people from these cultures don't want to tell you, be critical uh, to your face. It's more of an indirect kind of thing. So it's better to get a more objective sense to say, what what, what have you never seen here? What was surprising? What was different? Okay, let me get to the point. (laughs) So these Koreans, they went out and they observed life in the Bay Area. They came back the next day, and I said, okay, well, what were some of the striking things you've never seen in Korea? They said, oh, my God, so many of you Americans walk alone, sit alone, eat alone, go to the movies alone. Oh. Are you mentally distressed? Now, wow. you're, you know, you're a therapist, right? <laughs> yes. I'm laughing because, wow. Go ahead. Tell me why. We're, we're alone. We're lonely. <laughs> That's all I ever hear. We're lonely. I'm lonely. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, we our culture is shaped in large part about this this whole concept of individualism. Yes. You know, shape yourself. You make your own choices. And I'm not saying that doesn't have positive things to it. You know, a lot of people credit innovation and creativity from the sense of you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, go out and then do new things and create new things. On the other hand, it can be very isolating. I mean, Koreans come from a much more group-oriented society, as do most Asians, as do most Middle Easterners, as do most Africans, as do many Latins, come from much more societies where the group takes precedence over the individual. So they were shocked to see all these people doing things alone. I know a Tibetan gentleman who said, oh, Mike, when I asked him the same question, he said, you know, in, in my community, in, in uh, Tibetan communities overseas, I've never seen, ever seen an old person walking alone, ever. That, you know, is a reflection of a societal value that we don't have to the same extent. And many people who come from these collectivistic societies are shocked when they see these retirement. What do you mean your parents aren't living with you? What do you mean that when you finish college you want to move out? This is completely crazy for them. And again, Latanya, I don't want to appear to be making judgments one way or the other because both both collectivistic and individualistic societies have their pluses and minuses. For sure. My point is that if you are the product of the pond of one type of society, it doesn't permit you to understand the other one, and it doesn't even permit the conversation to begin. It, It, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> which leads to words that conceal and words that reveal. You say words like eyeglasses blur everything they do not make clear. <laughs> right. Well, you know, language is a one of the chapters I, 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 I try to fixate on because the way we use language across cultures is very different, even within our own culture. Let me first give you an example of... Um, something within our own culture, okay? And then I'll go to another a cross-cultural incident. Okay. Um, I was um, working on a project with a colleague, and we were coming to the end, 
and I called her up and I asked her when she thought we could get together to finish the last part of the project. And she said, oh, Joe, I really can't think about it now. My calendar is packed. Now, if you and I were working on a project, Latanya, and I said, and you wanted to get to the end of it, and you thought we were close, and I said, well, I, you know, I really can't think about it now. My calendar is packed. How do you interpret that? That I don't. Well, it, it depends, Joe, because <laughs> it depends <laughs> on my pond. <laughs> I might think you're blowing me off. I, I just, you exactly. know, yes. Yeah, you know, we worked so hard on this. What do you mean your calendar is packed? What kind yeah. of a rude thing is that? Yeah. The next day, she called me. And she said, you know, I was so rushed. I'm so sorry about yesterday. I couldn't really get a handle on when we could meet because my calendar, I just got off a plane and it was packed in my luggage. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so that's within our own language, right? It is, yeah. Now, we, most of us in the United States are generally, again, there are pockets and differences and there are regional differences and there are ethnic differences in how we approach language and tone and... But most of us uh, grow up with speak your mind, right? Say what's yes. on your mind. Yes. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. Most of us? Okay. So in many cultures, to say what's on your mind immediately is considered very rude and confrontational. Yes. So in many cultures, people, even though they mean to say no, they don't say no. They do not. They do not. Yeah. You've experienced this, I guess. I have. I, when I traveled in the Navy, one thing they told us when we went to United Arab Emirates is that they will tell you yes. Everything is yes. Yes, my friend. Yes, my friend. Right? Even if they don't agree with you. Yes, my friend. Yes, but yes. But did you get to the point after, you know, more contact that you began to interpret what when that meant no? They will let you know there is a uh, there's a firmness to it. There is a, they may take something from your hand. So if you're in the, in the market and you're wanting to buy a rug or something like that, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll let you know physically, you know, no, yeah. I'm saying yeah. yes, but no, I'm not going to sell this to you for that price is really right. what they're saying right. when they snatch it from right. you. <laughs> yeah. And, and every culture, this is why this is so fascinating and it's endless. I mean, I could be doing this till the day I die because there's just so much beyond, you know, my pond, even though it's a little larger than a lot of people's because I've been blessed in traveling and meeting sure. people yeah. from other countries, my pond is still minute compared to what's out there. For sure. The way that people say no in other cultures, you know, it, it boggles the mind. There is a famous Japanese essay, people can Google it, I don't know if it's online, but they could certainly find it in the library. It's called 16 Ways to Avoid Saying No wow. by a Japanese gentleman. <laughs> but everybody in Japan knows what the signals are. I mean, perhaps could easily mean no in many cultures. I'll, you know, are you going to be able to get this in by the deadline? I'll give it my best effort. That means no. Yes. In a lot of cultures. Or You've maybe, it, right? Americans are big with maybe, and we, you know, it's funny because in, in relationships we'll say, well, do you mean yes or do you, maybe, no, you mean no. <laughs> it's been the source of a <laughs> lot of go. arguments. <laughs> there you go. Right. right. So yeah. there, there's examples of where language, um, language itself can be a source of miscommunication, and it also can be revealing about what's important in your culture. Now, you and I know. As I suspect most of your audience knows, that the United States is very much drenched in gun culture. Yeah. And whatever your 
attitude is about the Second Amendment. The fact is that we have probably more murders and more guns in this country than the vast majority of all, perhaps all countries in the rest of the world. Yes. That affects the way we use language. So I do a, a little section in that chapter about how our language reflects guns in ways that we're not even aware of. Right? Yes. Yeah. This is and then the same thing with uh, the French culture. You know, they're obsessed with food. They don't even realize how often they use food metaphors in the way that we use gun metaphors. Wow. You're right. So the language itself can be revealing about and hints about a culture or ads. Let's say some of your listeners are going to another country. One of the best ways to get a sense of what are the preoccupation about the country is to see what the mass media portrays in its advertisements. What is it that they focus on? What are the words that they focus on? What are the images that they focus on? Because they're trying to sell things to you, right? Sure. So they're trying to touch your cultural heart. Yeah, because one Coca-Cola commercial in America is going to be completely different from a Coca-Cola commercial in China. It's going to be an entirely different. And we are we're moving in, but I I want you to hit on minefields and mine openers in the news because I am very big on talking to my listeners about media and you know the troubles with media and perceptions and misperceptions more than anything I think Americans are 100% at this point influenced by everything that comes through uh, the media format so really right. quick give us give us your perspective uh, through what you wrote the earth right. is a beehive we enter the, by the same door but live in different cells isn't that the case? Well, you know, there are two perspectives. The first perspective is um, that chapter tends to focus on things that we've seen in the news that reflect cultural clashes. That's one thing. Like recently, you may have seen a few months ago uh, an American, a Caucasian American, who was asked to speak on uh, BBC about uh, North Korea. And uh, while he was speaking on Skype, a little kid, uh, came into his office, crawled into his office, baby. And right after the baby crawled into the office, um, his sister crawled in. And then an Asian-looking woman came in to get the kids out as yes. fast as possible because he yes. was doing this national interview, right? Yep. So what was the reaction on social media? Oh, it must be his nanny. His nanny. Mm -hmm. It was his wife. So he. This. that's what I mean by, you know, issues in the news where I'll try to point out a cultural clash that is totally misunderstood. But going to the second part of it, in my lifetime, remember, we used to refer to, and you're in media now, LaTanya, broadcast, right? And that was the whole idea that we would all share certain uh, channels together. Whether we agreed about what came on the channel was another issue, but they, we all kind of shared the same messages, and then we could argue about it. Now... If you have a political point of view on any particular topic, what we have now with cable news in particular is people who are on the left watch certain channels and mm -hmm. hear certain cha radio stations, and people who are on the right do the same thing, but they're totally different with totally different narratives. So what you have, in my opinion, is a siloization, a siloization of our attitudes. And it breaks down the, even, the, even the, the remotest opportunity for people to at least understand what is the source of our differences before attacking each other just because they happen to hold a different view. Right. Now, 
you and I might differ on a particular issue, or like let's play it out in the news now, right? There are some people who, for very profound religious reasons, are anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. And there are other people who, for equally powerful reasons, feel the power of choice is critical, particularly that the woman, the mother, should make the choice. Both of those could be very deeply, sincerely held views. The problem is that sometimes that they get so locked into their narrative that they are not able to have a conversation and be able to accept and acknowledge the other person's reality and come to some way of saying, okay, as a society, we ought to make a, make it possible for to honor both points of view. Right. Nobody, nobody has a monopoly on the truth. No one. No one. That's my view. Yeah. yeah. And that, now, some of your, your, that's your, why you're your on this show, though. That is exactly that, why I, you're I on this show. I truly believe that. <laughs> so, listen, to make this practical, it is amazing how quickly an hour goes by when you're having right. such a in-depth conversation, but isn't, isn't that the way it moves? Tell us how we cope. The reality is globalization. The reality is there will be cultural classes and misperceptions. How do we better cope with it? And you offer in your book, um, you know, ways that we can approach this. You have questions and activities. Um, what are the ways that we're going to mitigate these misperceptions? It's going to take, this is not going to be an easy process. But, uh, you know, I start with the individual. And that the individual, hopefully through our educational system, Systems can be encouraged to meet with, spend time with people who are different, who come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, who come from different geographical, ethnic backgrounds. And when we do that, it may be a little frightening in the beginning. People are afraid of difference. I think that's a fairly common universal that we're all kind of, you know, kind of locked into our own identities, which is understandable. I'm not being critical of it. But it is, can be so toxic if we limit ourselves to that. Um, some journalist, a famous journalist, uh, Bill Moyers, once said in a speech, um, talking to people who are only like you is like being in a cul-de-sac. It gets you nowhere. Wow. And so there has to be an effort on the part of educators to help people to have conversations, civil, respectful conversations, to understand what is the meaning behind why you do this. Is what I said what you heard? Is what you heard what I meant? I think those conversations have to happen very early on. And, you know, international houses are not going to create it on every single street in the world, even though that would be very helpful. But, you know, more and more exchanges, like in the United States right now, I truly believe as important as international intercultural changes across borders is important, I think it would be a great idea if in high school, uh, maybe even in, in middle, mid school, kids had short-term exchanges with families from different regions of the country. So a kid, for example, from, um, from rural Iowa could could be with a family in the Castro. Now, that might be very threatening in the beginning, but, you know, on some level, they might discover their humanity. And let me give you, try to close that off with this whole notion of educators 
encouraging people, and I try to do this with exercises in the book to help people reflect on themselves and to interview people and engage with people from other countries. But here is what I really believe about this. You don't open the mind unless you can touch the human heart. So I remember, let me close with this. At International House, I remember a Christian woman from the Philippines who would not speak, despite all of the uh, idealism of International House, to a Muslim gentleman from Pakistan, just because in the Philippines there's a big tension and there's been violence with Muslims in southern Philippines. She wouldn't talk to him. Her experience in the Philippines drove her relationship with him, right? Right. And so she wouldn't even talk to him, even though they lived in International House, they worked in the same office as interns, until she got sick. And when she got sick, usually the residents would deliver food to their rooms. Who was the first person to bring her food? I wonder. It was this Pakistani Muslim. Mm-hmm. That is what opened her mind to say, this guy is a human being. He's decent. Right. Right. And then they began a conversation. Touch the heart, and the possibilities for opening the mind can become limitless. And that's that's where the balance is. I, I think more than anything, it's um, you know, there's there's definitely concern, and I know um, I don't know if it's something that you're aware of, but particularly with the black community, um, you know, and feeling that in many ways it's been open to um, acculturation. You know, to obviously has had no choice, particularly here in America, has had no choice, but you know, not feeling that reciprocated, so to speak. Um, you know, there might be cultural appropriation and things like that, but people not wanting to understand um, where the community is coming from, and so in some ways, people fear even in the black community reaching out. You know, because there, there's a fear of harm. There's a fear of, of hurt. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine many different cultures feel that way. You, you just don't want to lose, but it sounds like you gain. It sounds like you can still retain, um, you know, the tenets of your faith. You can retain who you are, what you believe, where you come from. You can still have a wonderful pond but explore others. That's as what I'm long wondering. as your pond is respected and understood. Yes. I absolutely, I'm, and I love that analogy. I love the analogy of the pond. I love it. Powerful. When I first read it, I said, whoa, this is, this is going to be the driving metaphor. And, and actually, you know, when I give talks, I often go back to that metaphor and say, well, that was because this person was locked in their pond. Their pond blurred what they were seeing. I'm 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 gonna use it. I'm gonna use that from from here forth. I I actually do um I teach people about a toxic swamp. You know, uh as I'm working with mental health, you know, how how does how do the frogs and the fish and you know become toxic if you know, we have to understand the environment and how it affects the, the creatures that live in it. So Perception and Deception, a mind opening journey across cultures by Joe Lurie. It is Poignant, pick it up today. Um, Joe, <laughs> you can get it on Amazon. It's the easiest get way it, up. You can get it on Amazon. I like books, Joe. I love to go. I, I like to actually order the book and have it sent to me. <laughs> I want the, there you go. Yeah, I want that book in my hand. So listen, how can our listeners, how can they reach out to you if they'd like to 
you know, email you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, you know, my I think the best way to do this is, you know, on my website. I have a book website. I think you have it there. It's basically www, right? Dot yep. Perception and deception. One word. Perception and deception. One word. Dot com. And then they can get a feeling for the book, a little, you know, teaser insight into some of it. And then it tells, for those people who are interested in starting a conversation, maybe interested in having a workshop done, a talk done, telling me what, how I could improve my book. You know, I, I know that I'm on the mountain, too. We're all on the mountain. I know that people can tell me about certain things that I've said in my book that would help. Maybe if I do another edition, it even gets better. So, yes, they can reach out to me, but the best way to do it is probably through my website, which gives an email contact as well as my LinkedIn contact. They can also find me on LinkedIn. Very good. Very good. Joe Lurie, it is I'm very humbled to have you. Uh, I, I told Joe, I tell a lot of my listeners, I actually turned down my acceptance to UC Berkeley for the Navy. I, I still, to this day, I'm 40 years old. I, I still struggle with the with the decision I made, but you know, but it is what it is. And um, just a, a, a great mind, a great speaker, um, you know, a director of one of it, one of a kind, one of a kind. The International House, very historical um, entity out there. So, Joe, it was a pleasure to have you. I'm I'm honored and humbled to have had you on my show. I think that our talk is going to spark a lot of thought. I want people to pick up your book. And uh, just thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Well, I'm honored that you've reached out to me, LaTanya, and I do hope that we'll get a chance to meet actually face-to-face one of these days in this crazy age in which people kind of only connecting digitally. They don't even call each other on the phone anymore. So since we both have share a common uh, purpose and a sense of the Bay Area together, I hope yes. we will get a chance to meet face-to-face and that we can continue to hear each other. Yes, indeed. And, and I'm always happy to put on my sociologist hat. It's, it's, <laughs> it makes it's like catnip to me um but again thank you so much joe uh to the listeners we are not done yet i've got another hour coming on the mental speak radio show on the fishbowl radio network so uh hang out with us and uh i will be right back you're listening to the mental speak show on the fishbowl radio network
are now locked into the Mental Speech Radio Show on the Fishbowl Radio Network. Hey, Mental Speech family. It's your host, Latanya Davison. I am headed into the second hour. So glad you have tuned in with me on this Friday evening, afternoon, night, wherever you are around the world. Thank you for being here. Uh, man, if you missed the first hour, I don't know what to tell you. Powerful stuff, man. Powerful stuff. Joe Lurie. Joe Lurie. Author, speaker, and cultural trainer. Um, we had a very, uh, very interesting discussion about... You know, the misperceptions of, you know, people around the world based on our culture, based on, you know, how we view the world, what we see, what we see, how we see it, how we misinterpret actions and interactions and, and words and things of that such. So um, just just an example of the, the type of guest that I like to have on the show. Uh, Joe was my only guest today. I typically don't don't rock the show by myself. I typically have someone sitting in the studio with me for both hours. But today I'm going to kind of catch the listeners up to speed, uh, kind of let you know where the show is headed, some things that are coming up, just to, you know, kind of do a little check-in. You want to vibe with me, feel free to call 214-717-4678, 214-717-4678. You can hit me up. Um, but again, I'm just in the studio this afternoon and this evening, and I'm just uh, want to vibe and get you get you up to speed. If this is your first time listening to the Middle Speak Show, this show started December 1st of 2017, and one thing about a radio show or any creative endeavor, you start something and you have in your mind kind of what you want it to be. And it, you know, kind of takes flight, kind of develops, and it's dynamic. It's always changing and becoming something new. So when I started the show, uh, at the recommendation of Queen Sylvie, she is a another host here at the Fishbowl Radio Network, Tuesdays, 11 to 1 p.m. on the Gray Stream. But, uh, so shout out Queen Sylvie. Um, you know, the, the the idea behind the show initially was there's a lot of emotional imbalance, uh, mental imbalance in our society. I'm a mental health therapist, and I am also a social psychologist. What makes me a social psychologist? Do I do research? No, I'm an observer. I'm a, I am a trained and a degreed observer in that aspect but I'm always looking at how things work together and if there's an easier way to make it work and so as it relates to our mental health our mental wellness our emotional wellness the goal for me was to look out and see how I can make things work better and that developed from working in psychiatric hospital hospitals working in the hospital you could see where people are literally trying to put their their lives back together they're trying to put the pieces of their lives back together 
and it's kind of funny because in in other cultures you will hear that they don't believe in mental illness they don't believe in the you know that that a person's mind can be fractured or you know broken to the point that they're that they're sick that they're ill they may attribute it to spirits or you know demons or um you know or they may just not even acknowledge it at all you know just just get yourself together get up you'll be all right go outside okay so you have all these different perspectives of what mental illness is and there is the biochemical component right you you can be in a stressful situation for so long so long that your neurotransmitters your body just does not react uh the way that they would if they were balanced right and the body is in a balanced state it's always seeking a balanced state your blood your ph every aspect of your body uh you know unless you have uh, some form of sickness is always seeking to be in a balanced state so you know there are biochemical origins of mental illness whether you believe it or not now we have a lot of global listeners but it's got to be said okay so just as the 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 body gets sick the mind can get to the point where it cannot handle everyday activities everyday interactions then we say that's an illness we say that you're sick you cannot do that which is normal it's not healthy okay i also recognize that in addition to that there are people who have been doing things a certain way and the outcomes have not been what they desired so we've heard the saying of you know you keep doing something hoping for a different outcome that is the root of insanity right at that point you can literally say hey like what is wrong with you you keep doing this it's not working So that's the other component that I was addressing in the hospital working with patients and their families is that they kept doing something. Families kept you know talking to their children a certain way, you know. Children kept doing, you know, certain behaviors maybe with purpose, but they kept getting in trouble. And so you're trying to say to the person, is this what you desire? No, this is not what I desire. So let's show you something different. Let's talk about it first. And then let me give you the tools so that you can make the changes. So fast forward to the the conceptualization of this show is having discussions about things that we don't know how to change. We keep doing the same things over and over in a society or individually in our own lives hoping for something different and not understanding that hey there could be another way but we will have no idea what that other way is if we don't have a conversation about it so how can you you know how can you make a change in your life or how can you help someone else make a change in your life if you don't have an understanding of what's really going on you got to understand it culturally mentally emotionally physically socially right you've got to be able to understand all these different perspectives and so my goal has been to have the conversations many of them we don't want to discuss or don't know how to discuss them so here i am to initiate them sexual abuse in the family uh human trafficking 
issues with you know the, the comedy community so I do stand up comedy so I have comedians who are having issues in that world and I wanted to you know provide a platform for them to talk about those issues police relations with the community addiction right drug addiction postpartum depression sex and porn these are all topics that we've done in the last few months uh, wellness in the workplace media and its effects on our minds uh, attempting to take someone who identifies as gay and convert them we've had that conversation uh, domestic violence uh, white male mental health Mexican mental health I've got a show next week coming up on black male mental health specifically and ways to address that so again if you're just tuning in for the first time to hear this show I want to just you know give you that picture of where you know where I've, where I've been how it started and what I want it to be so what I would like it to be again as a platform for continuing these discussions of issues that we see in society and in our own lives and bringing it to light honoring the problems you know acknowledging them not denying them not ignoring them but actually recognizing that they exist and then on top of that recognizing that we have different perspectives of it it's another reason why I had Joe Lurie on in the first hour because he was able to bring the aspect of you know we we have our own pond as he said we 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 each live in our own individual pond and and the makeup of that pond is rooted in how we were brought up you know uh, what our parents taught us what we may have learned in the, in the church and the mosque uh you know the religion all of us are affected by the television period the 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 television is a psychological tool period there is there's we could say entertainment we watch it for entertainment but one thing you have to understand is the origins the source of tele- television from day 1 1929 you look it up but, but in the in the hands of of germany <laughs> At the time, it, it was understood that it was going to be a tool for propaganda and it was going to be a tool to put out information one way to be received. And they understood very deeply our psychological nature. Okay, so the media, you know, very significant in our lives as far as how it directs our behavior. And so that's another thing that I really, I hope that my show is undermining a lot of that conditioning and that's a dangerous thing to do right it's a dangerous thing to do because obviously there's a purpose Some someone has a purpose for the media and wants you to think a certain way and see things a certain way so you know my goal is to offer that platform and that voice to say okay look you know yeah I see that but did you look at this did you see this because how many how many times is someone referencing what they saw on the news and saying that that is that is accurate you can't I did uh, about a month I was a video journalist in Jacksonville Florida and I had a little driving around a little Chevy Blazer and I had a camera 
and every morning we would get together, we would meet, and you know the new, all the anchors and the reporters that go out in the field, and all the video journalists and the editors and you know the the news director, and we'd get together in this room, and we'd look through the paper. And we'd see what was going on, and we'd just kind of brainstorm, and they'd say, okay, listen, you know, hey, such and such is happening over at such and such church at 4 o'clock. Be there at this time, you know, or something's popping off. They have police scanners, so something's popping off. You you run over there. You get the story. You get the shot. And And I just remember sometimes I would... You know, I mean, maybe it was a slow news day, you know. Hey, a little dog got hit on, you know... St. John's Boulevard, whatever, go go get some sound on tape. And I would run over and, you know, film my little thing, find somebody who saw it and talk to them. And what I just recall is that whatever, wherever I set the camera or whomever I talked to, that's what you got. And then when I sat down to edit it, that's what you got. You saw what LaTanya saw. So you can only imagine on a larger level when CNN, Fox, all these larger, you know, news outlets send someone to go get a story. I mean, you're you're at the liberty of that news station and then you got to be sure that they're directing how it's told, right? Who it's told, who the story's told by, how it's told and um even when it's told. So just, you know, know that I want to cut through that. I want to cut through the um just i just i just want to keep it real you know and even what i'm saying you know research <laughs> research what i say don't don't trust exactly what i say you know and i have have many guests on here with different viewpoints but our hope is that many people come on and we spark conversation hopefully around the globe hopefully people tune in and they hear a topic and they say to themselves, you know what? I never really thought about that that way. I've never talked about this before. You know, I have sexual abuse in my family, for instance. You may say, I have sexual abuse in my family. We have never discussed this. And hopefully, you know, if, if you hear that particular uh, broadcast, you it sparks something in you to have that conversation. Maybe there's some things that your family needs to heal. And you can hear something that was said and you can take it right but with with the media uh, you know a little bit controlled so that's all I'm saying there but I you know want for us to begin to take wellness emotional wellness and mental wellness into our hands and that's going to come again through discussion so the show is going to remain that as the focal point. It's going to be about, you know, information, bringing people to you to have a conversation with you on all these different topics. But I would also like to level it up. I would like to expand it to where um, we're bringing in some guests who. You know, they they may have a little bit more of a targeted uh, kind of position, so to speak. Um, And on that note, I have spoken with uh, Professor Griff of Public Enemy. 
and a great gentleman, very down-to-earth guy, and uh, someone on that level coming in uh, hopefully will punch up, you know, punch up what we're trying to do because I, I do want people to get fired up and empowered to take action, okay? I, I, I want us to talk, but I would like to see us also turn talk into action. And this is a person who is uh, very much out in the community, you know, pushing people to to act, to do, right, to make change, because that's where we are. I think we're too much, you know, yes, do, do I support the vote? Yes, for your local voting, yes. You get out, you know, there are people that can be your, kind of be a speaker for you. They can speak on your behalf. Um, however, we need to stop transferring our power through this vote. I'll say it again. We need to stop transferring power to these to these voting booths and these polls. It is so easy for people to tell someone else, you know, you need to vote, you need to vote, you need to vote, and then that's it. You think you've done your duty. And that's a problem. That is a that is a problem to me. It is a problem to think that you you that your responsibility ends at just casting a vote and and then okay, someone else has got it. You got it. No. We have to be the ones to do the work. We have to be the ones to get out, get active. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time. I know we don't have a lot of energy, but but again, it's you know it's not going to fly with just okay. I voted for so and so. I've done my duty, and then looking at the next person, you know, it's just not going to work. So, anyways, I want to start to reignite people as we go through this journey of healing ourselves I also want to integrate empowerment and you know discuss different ways of uh, getting out into the community so we're going to do that and you know I would like to get out and start doing you know maybe remote uh, broadcast where I'm actually out and in the community showing you places that you can go to help okay I'm really excited about that. That's something that just kind of came to me today. Uh, but mental speak, again, it's it's talking, helping you to change your thoughts, helping you to add perspective, and then going and doing. So that's the next component. It's just natural, right? It's the natural, natural next step for us to do. So I'm really excited about that show. Uh, and uh, it's looking like it'll be towards the end of October. And I'll give you guys more information on that. So, so yeah, um, I wanted to talk about uh, a topic specifically that came up on last week's show uh, with Megan King and Lauren Riley, uh, local comedians to Dallas-Fort Worth area. I do a comedy roundtable once a month, and uh, that's why I bring in uh, fellow comedians who uh you know we're 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 pretty opinionated people clearly i mean we get on stage and and tell you what we see what we observe and you know hopefully add some humor to it to take the edge off but 
we're we're very very opinionated in a lot of things and so last week I wanted to make sure that we uh covered the topic of issues for female comics in uh in that industry and um clearly we couldn't have got <laughs> We couldn't have done that broadcast without talking about all the things that have gone on uh, since then. And I wanted to make sure that I put out that um, I wanted to clarify some of the things that I had said during that broadcast. Um, I talk, We were talking about Bill Cosby and, um, you know, and the sentencing of Bill Cosby. And we, you know... I think you clash on radio quite a bit. A lot of people don't know that, you know, when you're on the phone and you're in the studio, it's kind of a delay. So there's some clashing sometimes or you're talking and you can't hear the other person. But also when you don't agree on certain perspectives, it's easy to kind of talk over each other. I was listening back to the broadcast and I realized, I, you know, we were we were kind of heated, kind of, I don't want to say we were heated, but we were, you know, we're having a passionate discussion and so you know I made mention of just you know I was trying to give other perspectives of possibilities for what is going on with Bill Cosby and just to fast forward Professor Griff has some some great insight on this whole situation and I I can't wait for him to come talk about it but you know I want to make it clear that in no way, in no new, new way, do I ever victim shame. Ever, ever, ever. Okay? I am a person that, not only am I a mental health social worker, a practitioner, if, you know, but morally to me, if someone says that they have been sexually assaulted, male or female, I... It, it for me you give 100% right you recognize 100% that this person has hurt okay has potentially been traumatized and then you let you let the pieces kind of fall where they may okay uh but 100% belief and that's really specifically to parents really specifically to parents um you know, not to say adults aren't important, but for parents, if your child says so, you just outright believe it. Because I've seen the fallout when you don't. I've seen the effects when you do not believe uh, your child. Okay? So, that being said, um, what I was trying to say on that show is there needs to be space where we say in addition to. So, the word but... I've always learned that the word but cancels out cancels out everything that was stated before. I know what you said, but right? Completely undermining it and now it doesn't it, it, it doesn't exist. I took the power away. Okay. So what I was trying to say is I know that these things were said or you know, or the, these are the accusations. Yes, one hundred percent we will give one hundred percent belief. To add to that discussion, and in addition to, for a wider perspective, these are the other conversations that we also can have along this topic. 
and that's what I'm hoping to instill in the listeners that we need to be able to say to ourselves in addition to I, I hear these facts yes honor I honor those facts in addition to those facts here's some other perspectives here's some other things we didn't consider and I go back to the media I go back to that when you're sitting there in front of the media in front, in front of whatever it is that whatever medium be it the computer and the internet or the television or the movie the documentary whatever it is it's a one-way conversation okay it's a one-way conversation and it doesn't ask you sure yeah you know what I, I hear that did you consider this did you think about this what about this information what about this fact what about this you see it, it doesn't it, it, the, the, the truth would be the center and then there's infinite points surrounding that like an atom right there's infinite infinite different uh, fields around that one truth and as Joe mentioned in the first hour you can only perceive it by what you know you can only perceive it by the level of information that you have by the eyes through which you've seen through the mind through which you've processed through the body through which you felt and sensed okay like so you can only see not only one way you're one person one mind and that is an event or occurrence or news story that only you can see that way there's infinite possibilities and so that's all I was saying and there are more than than just you know when when we're looking at a situation there's many things to consider and I believe that we have to be open to that we have to be open to seeing things a different way because it can hurt people I am not saying that that dude is innocent by any means you know at all in any kind of way what I'm saying is you know what one person is guilty of doesn't mean that they're guilty in all aspects and there's also many other um, many other factors right that can play into certain things and that does not cancel out the negative that we see right that does not cancel out um, the wrong but even in there and there's something wrong there's some things that that were additionally wrong outside of that person that they did not control so that was that was the point that I was making and I hope I hope that that's conveyed even now um, you know so my goal is always to make sure that we take time the mind is vast the mind is infinite and we've got to be willing to explore it to go you know to 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 consider all possibilities well we can't consider all possibilities but to consider more possibilities than just the one that we view okay so I um, I hope that you you have a better understanding of what I'm trying to do here uh, I like to take time out to kind of think I've only done this once before but I like to take time out to make sure that you know people have an understanding of what we're doing here and I need you to know that you're a part of this you are as, as the listener um, you know, if I'm if I'm a spark 
So I'm one of many sparks. You know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of radio shows out there. There's a lot of speakers. There's a lot of a lot of people out there. My hope is that we're we're bringing you um, you know a quality show, great topics, um, significant topics with uh, knowledgeable people, credentialed or not, degrees or not, right? Just people who have a lot of experience and a lot of passion for sharing knowledge and making sure that humanity has it. So that's 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 what Mental Speak is about. You know what else Mental Speak is about? Amazing music. Amazing music. I'm a believer that uh, music is, is healing and it's it's uniting, right? And it, it's timeless. And, and uh, I think we need to look to our... Uh, past genres and eras of music for healing as we move forward uh, but I use it to supplement the show and um, I'm a 80s I'm, I'm a 70s baby but I grew up in the 80s so you're going to hear a lot of those vibes for me music had a lot of meaning back then and a lot of uh, a lot of healing for us so so I'll rock a few jams throughout the show I'm going to rock one now and uh, I just want to say to you guys thank you so much for tuning in to Middle Speak I'm not quite done just yet I will be back Too much. 
And welcome back to the Mental Speak Radio Show on the Fishbowl Radio Network. You are you're tuned into us either on FBRN.us or listening to us on the uh, Fishbowl Radio Network app from Google Play or iTunes. If you don't have it and you're on FBRN, why don't you have the app? You can listen to it and take us wherever you go. We've got some great shows here at Fishbowl. Coming up on October 20th is the Fishbowl Radio Host Awards and the Mental Speak Show. I'm I'm really I'm really proud of this. I, I you know I'm not I'll tell you the truth I'm not a I'm not a grade person. Like I don't care about grades right <laughs> at all. They're required, but I don't like them. Uh, but I know that when you know when when you're being when people are telling you that what you're doing is a good thing you need that feedback right and so to be nominated for best solo show best talk show and best female host says to me that I'm on the right path and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and uh like like I I said uh before uh the break I I just I have a vision for this um you know started for just you know really focusing on the mental and emotional imbalance and it's moving into a social movement and it's moving into a like a social responsibility for me and so to be recognized even to be you know to to have nominations amongst very talented people very talented and very purposed and very driven people purpose-driven people huh. uh, but that's what's here at Fishbowl Radio um, you know FBRN just tune in at any point of the day and you're going to find really powerful and profound shows of people who are passionate about their community passionate about their people passionate about the world right and you know we have this neutral independent platform to come on and bypass the media, man. Bypass the mainstream media. Yeah, we have our opinions. We have our perspectives. We're we're in our own little pond. But many of us are wanting to, you know, expand our own knowledge, our own insight, and uh, and, and and in many ways connect the world. So October twentieth, we are holding the Fishbowl uh, Radio Host Awards at the Uptown Theater in Grand Prairie at eight p.m. There are a few tickets left, I believe, for general admission. If you go to the FBRN.us page, uh, there are whatever few tickets are available. I think there's very few pairs, but we're packing out the house. I went last year with Queen Sylvie, and that's when I knew I needed to do this. You know, she had asked me months months ahead. She was like, you, you need to have a show. And, um, you know, she just said, you can help a lot of people. And so that's been the whole goal. And on that night, uh, many of the shows and many of the hosts are going to be honored. It is the ninth year of Fishbowl. Fishbowl was started by Sylvia St. John Sammy G. For those of you local to Dallas-Fort Worth, um, 30-year radio veteran, Latina. And she is owner of the station and has started something very amazing for people to come and have a voice. And... um, Nine years 
largest of its kind. So when we say personality driven, it means people sitting behind microphones and, you know, pushing out content. Largest of its kind, first of its kind. Pretty amazing. And so uh, she has uh, set up a night for us to, to be honored and to honor one another and just to, you know, come together, fellowship. And um, so I'm excited to see what happens. You can vote. Uh, they do take into account uh, listener votes at brn.us forward slash vote. I think it's vote now or vote something like that. But if you go to the website, you'll see the link. So if you love the show, give it a vote. Give it a vote, please. Because um, I want to do more. And I think that, you know, winning for me is not so much personal as it is, hey, if we're validated... That's that's the more easily we can get our word out and get our message out. The message is balance of self and society. It, it's taken me ten months, <laughs> a little over ten months to come to that. But that's what it, that's what it is. I want it, it's balance. We're all a little bit of greatness, a little bit of not great, right? We we just want to recognize the darkness in us and we want to uh, uh, you know acknowledge acknowledge our humanity okay and so um, you guys have been rocking with me I have you know listeners that that have been here from day one I've had some amazing guests and I gotta I gotta throw it out to them amazing amazing guests I can't call all of you by name because I forget somebody it'll be like you can call my name so anyone who has sat in the studio or called in thank you thank you anyone who has tuned in to FBRN anyone who has gone on the on the websites for the streaming we are everywhere we are on Google Play uh, or Google Podcasts Apple uh, Music, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, oh man, uh, TuneIn, iHeart, iHeartRadio, uh, Anchor, and then there's all these other little podcasts uh, that are streaming that we're on, we're global, we're being heard, and We're hopefully giving practical tools and tips for people right where you are to begin thinking about how can I make change in my life? How can I change my thoughts, my thinking? How can I address the pain that I've had in my life? And then ultimately, how can we take that out into the world and make some things happen for ourselves, right? Not through politicians. They're good, but, you know, we're we're great. So, that being said, um, you can... uh, Reach out to me, LT at mentalspeakradio.com. LT at mentalspeakradio.com. The website is mentalspeakradio.com. Check it out. Um, all the archives are there. And, um, you know, just information about our mission, about what we're doing here. I say we, so it's a we thing. If you listen to the first hours, Joe said, I think I am naturally. I'm I'm, a, I'm I'm like both. I'm like I do my own thing, but I'm communal because cause this is us together in our own spaces doing doing things together, right? Um, I also will be performing uh, my 
uh, I'm not saying my last comedy show, but a comedy show indefinitely <laughs> uh, at the Black Academy of Arts and Letters in Dallas, October 13th, 8 p.m., I believe, I'm guessing. But that's where I will be. I would love to have you in the house. It's uh, we got uh, Angela Walker, local to Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, Jaljuda Lee, Casey Evans, um, Sandra Balan, Liz Berry. It's going to be a great West Corin. It's like a a great little put uh, a show that's been put together of some local DFW comedians, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Kind of reminds me of the Apollo a little bit, but come on out to that. Uh, again, you can get your tickets if you'd like to come out uh, to the Fishbowl Radio Network Awards. And um, I just want to really say again to the listeners around the globe, we have countries, Italy, India, uh, Mexico, Denmark, Venezuela, Costa Rica, uh, Jamaica, all these different countries that tune in and show up on our analytics each week. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing to be bringing different cultures together, different countries together, hopefully to hear what I think unites us is, as Joe Lurie said in the first hour, our humanity. And for me as a social worker, a mental health social worker, I see people at their lowest points in their life. They are broken and they don't know what to do and they need answers. And I'm going to tell you, to me, that is the ultimate in humanity. That people who are broken from different backgrounds for different reasons can come together in the same room and recognize each other's humanity. You know, hurting is hurting. Hurting doesn't know any color. And so, yes, the, you know, the highest of our highs and the great things that happen to us in our lives is, um, you know, that unites us when we're having a good time. We're celebrating. You know, New Year's is, is, a, is a good example of that. We celebrate and, you know, hey, we're going into a new year, something new. But I'm going to tell you, nothing really truly unites us like knowing that other people hurt the way that we hurt. So, um, you know, for me to be able to do this, it feels like, you know, this is this is my way of uniting the world. Is finding the commonalities where we're not getting things right. We're not doing everything right. We don't have all the answers. We're being honest about that. But then we're also trying to do something about it. We're not applying the band-aid. We're not running from it. We are actually addressing it, focusing, going towards it, and dealing with it. Right? So that is that is my gift to the world. That is my purpose in the world and I'm really wanting to take this to another level so hopefully you continue to support by listening sharing sharing all the shows um, and just again yeah tuning in and then passing on what you know right that's how we do this and if you want to leave a dollar in donation I sound like a, a pastor but yeah feel free to put a dollar in the collection plate it's called donation <laughs> but it helps with uh, production costs and like I said in time I want to go out and do uh, remote shows so really wanting to expand this LT at mentalspeakradio.com I am so grateful for every ear every eye that watches great shows coming for October and beyond next week we are doing black male mental health very important Yes, okay, 
I want to say thank you so much for tuning in to the Middle Speak Radio Show. And I will be back next Friday. All willing. I will see you soon.